G'day and welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO here at NextGen Agri. I've worked in livestock farming and breeding for over 25 years, and through this journey, I've met some truly wonderful people. It's fantastic to have the opportunity to share their stories and their wisdom with you through this Head Shepherd Podcast. It's also fantastic to meet new people through the podcast, and I'm always humbled by the generosity of people that take the time to have a chat and share their stories. I also very much appreciate you, our loyal listeners, who continue to listen in and provide your feedback each week. It's very much appreciated. This podcast is supported by our good friends at Allflex and MSD Animal Health, who are guided by the one mission of the science of healthier animals. Now combined, these companies have one of the widest livestock product portfolios in Australasia with a comprehensive suite of animal health products through things like the Cooper's Range and the ID and monitoring solutions that Allflex are famous for. Their products are all backed up by their exceptional service and we are really proud to continue to have their support in bringing this podcast to you each week. Okay, let's get this show on the road. Welcome back to the Head Shepherd. Uh, we're into well into season six now. Thanks to all the great feedback. Had the opportunity to catch up with quite a few people around the traps the last few weeks as we've gone about ram sales in New Zealand and great to hear that people continue to enjoy uh, what we do here. Um, yeah, remember to keep keep sharing what we do and, uh, and and if you can leave feedback on your chosen platform, that'd be awesome. That all all helps cause. We'd love to love to hear from you and get get your thoughts on who else we should have have along. Um, awesome this week to have our new recruit here at Next Gen Agri, Henry Hickson. Welcome, Henry. Thanks, Ferg. Long time no see. <laughs> it's been a well, while. In fact, we've never met in person, so it has been <laughs> has been has been a long term. So, um, so part of uh, I guess me being locked out of the country was uh, given the opportunity to employ someone in in Australia, and uh, yeah, it's been. Been a good good few months. We're, what are we? Three or four months into into your time at Next Gen. Yeah, it feels a bit longer than that. I think it might be five now. You know. Yeah, right. Early September. Yeah, um, time flies when you're having fun. So I guess a bit of your bit of your background and yeah, where you where you hail from and and what the plans are. Yeah, so I grew up on a mixed farm uh, near Bermai in northwestern New South Wales, which is about. An, yeah, hour north of Moray. Dad's pretty Which into it. About, about an hour north of <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's centrally located now from every major centre. <laughs> and, yeah, Dad's pretty into his merino sheep. He breeds his own rams, much so we're just another good ram breeder, I suppose, breed their own at home. <laughs> um, so he's pretty into that, and I suppose that's where I grew up learning about sheep. And then finished school, spent a year chasing cows just to make sure I was still learning and then went to university for three years at Armidale and then finished university, went benchmarking for a company out of Tamworth for six months and then decided that I needed to be chasing a few more sheep than sitting at a desk looking at spreadsheets. So I applied with Ferg and here I am. <laughs> There you go, and now we we try and get you to stick to, at a desk looking at spreadsheets, but you keep breaking out of that and looking at sheep. But so um, yeah, I guess for for those in Oz, you're going to be eventually once you can find a house, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be located out of Wagga, um, sort of servicing, I guess Victoria and New South Wales predominantly. But any next generation clients uh, in Oz, um, obviously, hopefully we're not too far away from borders opening again, but. Uh, but until that day, you're our sort of you and Darren are our, our reps over there, and um, but you'll sort of handle that New South Wales area. Yeah, so I'm 
fair way south now, so everything's close by from here. Um, but hopefully we'll find a house one day. <laughs> yeah, everything's everything's close compared to Boomai, but yeah. So I mean, it has been a, I guess, up at home. You've been up there for the summer, and and you're now in the, um, experiencing the very unseasonal summer or yeah, summer early autumn that we're having across New South Wales. What's what's it like there underfoot? Um, yeah, it seems to be pretty damp wherever you go. Home this year was unbelievably wet, second wet summer in a row, which was pretty exciting. Um, but, yeah, not so exciting for the sheep, I think. Um, we seem to get a fair few issues, especially in a few lambs with yeah, wool and fleece rod and flies. It's um, pretty tough when there's six foot of grass and it decides to rain five mils every afternoon. Um, one of those good problems to have, but <laughs> very good challenge. <laughs> good problem to have if you've got cattle, and not such a good problem if you've got merino sheep trying to walk around in that stuff. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> we got a few cattle, but it's pretty pretty strong market over here. Both the sheep and cattle markets, I think, make the New Zealand markets look pretty small at the moment. But yeah, it's still pretty exciting. The yeah, trading in the cattle market the last few years has been pretty awesome. As as sheep, really. I don't know when it's all going to end, but it's <laughs> all been pretty smooth sailing so far since the drought broke. Yeah, well, it's raining and the prices are good. It's yeah, all good. Uh, I guess you've yeah, you have uh, as lots of people having fair share of body strike and, and those sort of things. We've had lots of chats uh, around that, and I guess we've sort of maybe relied on some of the traits we thought were correlated with with fleece rot, but it's um, I guess we're now pretty confident we need to put some effort into making sure we're continuing to select for fleece rot to remove some of that body strike. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. We had a few different lines, obviously, because we were trading sheep at home and they ended up we ended up with lambs that were six months in wool through November, December, which was just yeah, humid and wet. And they got both lines seemed to get a lot of fleece rot and one was from I suppose a relatively wrinkle-free flock and some were not, and there didn't seem to be that much discrepancy between the two. And so it was a bit about, yeah, whether those animals, yeah, actually were adapted to the environment that they were put in. And so I think it's very hard to have an animal that's never had a challenge <laughs> take it to an environment where it's challenged. Um, they're not all going to stand up, and, and I think that's why it's important yeah, to measure the trait directly. Instead of relying on correlated traits, I think it's very hard to breed a sheep that's fleece, fleece rot resistant if you never have been challenged and never are able to select on it. Um, not to mean, not that that means you can't do it. It just means you have to hopefully get some values from people who can record it. Those progeny, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's sort of um, yeah what we're finding across everything we do. I suppose is that unless you've unless they're under that disease pressure or under that environmental pressure, you, you can't express that trait. And so you, I guess we sort of find that out a fair bit when we bring genetics from Australia or the dry parts of Australia to New Zealand and some of them, some of the wolves pack up and some of them don't. And that's, um, and it's not always, yeah, it's not always in line with what you might expect would happen. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, oh, it's probably a good, good year for you to start in this game is, is to see that sort of stuff. Um, because we, yeah, and so we are, we do need to be measuring these traits if we want to make gain in them generally. Yeah, well, there's 
I think everyone's finding that there's a lot of trades that they haven't been able to measure for three or four years through the drought, including WEC and fleece rot. And suddenly anyone that's used yeah, rams for three or four years without testing is finding that there's a bit more variation than they thought in a lot of those trades. And there's a lot more, yeah, I suppose there's been a good challenge everywhere for fleece rot. So it'd be nice in a year while we can record it because there's not every year in northern New South Wales where you can record these kinds of traits while they're there to record it because there will be a time again where we're not able to record it for a few years. So yeah, accuracy is king, king, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess would encourage all those Rambrays out there to, yeah, when you do get thrown, there's always uh, always an opportunity and some, and some threat and that's what, I mean, yeah, people under pressure from fleece rotten flies at the moment and it's a great time to, to find those that don't get it because there will be some there that have stayed stayed white and fly free and um, and be plenty of them and yeah I guess some uh, some bloodlines will be better than others but generally there's I don't know you've done a lot of searching through the database there's a lot of variation there's no one that sort of stand out it's just you just got to find the individuals within within flocks really yeah I think it's quite difficult when you're looking at young rams um, that are untested to know with accuracy what their fleece rod values are but with a lot of rams that have been used widely in the industry, the fleece rot values seem to be pretty accurate and correlating with what you actually see out on the ground or what, what you hear if people say that this ram went to their place and seemed to fall apart in the wall, then sure enough, if it's been used a couple of thousand times across multiple environments, you look down at its fleece rod value and it, sure enough, it doesn't seem to stack up there either. So I think it's quite easy with proven size, but yeah, with... Young size, it still can be a bit of a guessing game. Yeah, particularly yeah, if you're in those environments that don't have that actual challenge on that on that drop, and that's what we're seeing now with the foot rot breeding bay, where um, the people that are able to get a foot rot challenge, and it's not something everyone wants to get involved with, um, but those that can are the ones that make the most game because they get the they do get that selection on the young on the young sheep, and every young sheep's got a breeding value to go forth, and that's sort of the kind of things we need to do with fleece rot. Um, yeah, no, I think it's <laughs> it's like trying to go to Bumai and get foot rot, but I just don't. It just doesn't seem to be anywhere that far north. So I'm not going to sit here and say that we have foot rot resistant sheep up there because I bet you we don't. And it's going to be pretty hard to get them, even if we use foot rot resistant size up in northern New South Wales. It's still going to be hard to select animals consistently to get them in the top percentile bands for those traits because there's just not that pressure. Whereas we can probably, yeah, use the climate to our advantage and select animals that are better for fleece rot, and then send them into into regions that aren't that can't necessarily measure that those traits as often. Yeah, um, you spent a fair bit of the last few weeks, I guess, helping individuals tailor indexes to their to their desires and playing around with that that little tool that that, that does that. How's how's that going? And I guess compared to the industry indexes, have we have we got some confidence that we can design indexes that sort of do meet the objectives of, of our breeders? Yeah, well, we've got a few indexes now that are slightly different to the DP and MP plus, I'd say. <laughs> um, by, sli- by slightly, <laughs> you mean very? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're including – it's it can be quite difficult when trying to make an index because suddenly now I think – we're waiting 15, 16 traits, um, which is 
obviously, yeah, makes it quite difficult because you have outliers in individual traits come to the top. But so just trying to find the balance of all those traits in an index to breed for a population that, yeah, will be, I suppose, genetically superior in the future. Um, it's very handy with mate cells at the moment. I'm finding that instead of just using a DP plus and weighting individual traits such as eye muscle and fat and just kind of guessing and checking we can make an index and rank a studs um, stock, I suppose, and kind of do the guess and guesswork beforehand and rank all their animals so then they know what animals are coming to the top and what animals they're going to breed with and then hopefully what animals they'll create in the future. Yeah, so for those who don't, uh, haven't had much to do with mate cells, so mate cells are basically computerised mate selection program um, which is designed to maximise genetic gain while minimising inbreeding, uh, yeah, developed by some very smart people and run through the sheep genetics platform but it's got, there's versions of it across the world that, that do the same same thing but yeah, sort of, it kind of seems like it's taking all the art out of out of breeding and just going straight to the letting the computer do all the work. But I guess what we find is that you do often will be combining some of the selection that the breeders are making and then only running mate cells within those selected groups and kind of trying to combine the art and the science, I suppose. Yeah. So mate cell seems to be really good at maximising genetic gain for the index you put into it, and sometimes this can be a good thing. It's Sometimes it's a bad thing. I think historically when we put the DP plus in, obviously, yeah, mate cell's job is just to maximise genetic gain while minimising inbreeding. So, But I think a lot of the clients that NextGen have got are kind of going in a very different direction to just or looking at a lot more traits, a lot more welfare traits than just the DP plus. So although mate cell's very good at maximising the genetic gain on that index, it's not necessarily so good in maximising the breeding objective of that stud. So that's why the, where this index get, gets pretty exciting because we can put individuals' breeding objectives in and actually maximise genetic gain in the direction they want to go. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, no, really, really looking forward to the sort of tool that I played around with a year or two ago, but, yeah, really um, haven't had the time to get it out to its full potential. And luckily you've got, you that can come in and, and do that and that's been yeah it's going to be really interesting to see this generation of lambs that go forward based on based on this this year's work yeah yeah lucky i've got nothing but time over here so hopefully we'll be able to um get this index out for the ram season in australia so then and have kind of a blanket index that people can use to filter rams or even rank their catalog that's different to the dp plus because a lot of clients' animals don't actually look that good on the DP plus index, but and the top animals they think in their sale aren't replicated in the indexes that they put on in their catalog. So it'd be good to have an index that represents their breeding objectives closely, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the aim. I guess the other thing we spend a lot of hours talking about is sort of efficiency and that yeah, being careful around adult weight and Obviously, sheep to get out of the blocks early and then don't go out too big. What have you sort of learnt looking around the database and the animals in the first first few months? Um, oh, it's a good one. We do spend a fair bit of time talking about this, um, and it's <laughs> it's not very simple. And I definitely haven't come up with a solution 
<laughs> as a as a viewer, I think, which I was hoping I asked that question, I think, very early and keep pestering you, but it doesn't. <laughs> There's no blanket rule. So in an index, you can actually weight because the DP plus is weighted on the yielding weight of animals, which I think and well, I think we think is quite late and nearly too late for most merinos and going to be so correlated with adult weight, whereas we can actually put an index that weights on weaning weight and post-weaning weight and then actually put a slightly negative correlation on adult weight, although that's probably fraught with a little bit of danger because adult weight's not that well recorded across a lot of flocks, so there's not a lot of accuracy in that value, but I think it's a lot better, yeah, weighting on weaning weight and P weight. But I've also put an, a weighting on the yearling reproduction traits. And I think studs that have selected for ewe lamb reproduction for a long period of time tend to get earlier maturing animals that seem to grow early and then plateau out. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to select for an animal that will grow early and then stop later is to join it as early as possible. So any studs that have been joining ewe lambs at seven, eight, nine months um, and putting a lot of pressure on that will probably tend to end up having animals that grow early and mature later because to join as ewe lambs, they have to get to a certain percentage of their body weight. And they're not going to do that if they grow, <laughs> if they're still growing at 14, 15, 16 months of age, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I guess there's people out there where that's just never going to happen and uh, like there's environments or production systems where that's not appropriate but you can still, people can still get the benefit out of maybe getting animals off farm at six, seven months of age in a finished form in terms of the males and even if they're going to mate ewe lambs, the maturity is still likely to be useful unless it is a, a very much a wool-dominant production system. Yeah, and I think even in a wool-dominant production system there's there's no... Like you don't need animals growing at 18 months of age still late maturing because in wool production systems you're still having 90% of lambs a year you'd hope at least, <laughs> which at the moment is still quite a big income check. So I don't see why you wouldn't be trying to get those lambs to have a bit of punch early and then moderating your adult weight later because even in a wool system running smaller sheep and increasing your DSEs can be more profitable than running these massive sheep that take a lot a lot of feed to keep going. So I think even selecting for early maturity could help in a wool system as well. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the other – and we do spend a lot of time talking about sheep, but the, um, <laughs> the, the, other, the other one of those things we talk about is breech cover and breech wrinkle. And I guess, yeah, I guess we – I don't know whether it forced onto you or whether you share my passion for, for, <laughs> for breeding high welfare animals. But um, obviously as you've sort of – you started to get around the industry, you're seeing plenty of variation in those traits and um, a lot of people made some pretty good gains on that front. Yeah. Yeah, well, through 2018 and 19, I probably wasn't as excited about wrinkle and cover and then suddenly 2020 and 21 came along and we thought, geez, I just don't know if you can get a plain enough sheep or a sheep with that's got <laughs> not enough cover because there's just the flies were so thick. And it was just an amazing couple of seasons for flies. So it's a bit like the adult weight debate, I suppose. How far do you go with wrinkle and cover? But I'm yet to see animals that seem to yeah, not get breed strike in high summer rainfall environments. It's still a lot of management, quite a reliance on 
yeah, chemicals, I suppose, still. But obviously, plain as sheep are going to have less of a reliance and it's then wrinkly as sheep, like it's chalk and cheese, really. So, yeah, how far we can go, I'd, <laughs> I don't know, but it's definitely, yeah, right up there at the moment. One of the first things I look at after you go and chase down 20 flyblown sheep. Yeah, right. Better look for a few rounds with some good wrinkle and cover, I think. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Uh, for those of out there that don't sort of know much about what, what we do, what's your sort of – this would be a good question to see if you know the answer to, but what's your, um, what's your I guess, role as you go into a, a commercial farm that's that's buying rams? Um, I guess, yeah, what do we, what do, we do for, the, for, those, for those businesses as you've started to – Started to get on farm and do that? Yeah, so going on farm first, something that um, you're probably getting used to. I seem to ask a lot of questions just to see what they're trying to do and what their enterprise is um, because everyone's got a different enterprise and I suppose where they're making money out of their sheep enterprise. So the split of wool and lambs is obviously, well, as income is different for every sheep enterprise and then obviously the climate plays a big role there environments where that such as victoria where they have a big spring and a surplus of feed they can warrant having a huge dse increase in spring so 160 percent lambing is probably a lot more attainable there than say up in um, the station country in queensland where it all rains unseasonal a bit so i don't think they need a period of the year where they have three times the dse pressure um so i was just looking at what the main challenges are, and then you can match what rams you're looking for based on what their challenges are and where their income in their sheep enterprise is um, produced from. Another example is DAG. There's no point selecting too hard on DAG if you're in an environment that doesn't get daggy um, and worms. I think, although I think it's pretty handy to have sheep that are resistant to worms in nearly all environments, but some some environments definitely need <laughs> higher worm resistance than others and things like that. So it's all about, yeah, I think climate's one of the biggest ones um, and we have plenty of discussions about climate and a lot about how, how much carcass or how much fat and muscle you need in various climates and various production systems because there are some if you're trying to get huge lambing percentages in and, and high stocking rates, you probably need more fat and muscle, whereas in I suppose sheep wheat belts, as we discussed, where your sheep tend to be lightly stocked, um, the pressure on those carcass traits probably doesn't need to be as high as in other areas. So it's all about, yeah, seeing the climate and production system of the people we're visiting. Oh, awesome, mate. No, that sounds like sounds like a pass. Right? There's a short-winded <laughs> response for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 excellent. Now we might... We might wrap it up there, and uh, yeah, no, it's been awesome to have have you on board, and yeah, uh, we'll put your contact details in the show notes if anyone wants to get in touch, and anyone in, uh, in that neck of the woods wants to have a yarn, um, you'd be more than happy to. I'm sure you like talking about sheep. It's uh, yeah, no, it's been great to have you on board, and look forward to finally meeting in person one day when the when the planes fly the right way. <laughs> yeah, it'd be good if they eventually let you in, or they let me in over there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome, mate. We'll talk soon. Right, Thanks, Ferg. Thanks for listening to the Head Shepherd Podcast. If you enjoy listening in each week, please take a moment to subscribe or even give us a review. That would be fantastic. And if you do get a moment to share it with your networks, we'd also love that so that we can share these great stories with more people. 
Thanks again to our friends at Allflex for sponsoring this episode. Allflex are wonderful supporters of the Australian and New Zealand livestock industries. Combined now with MSD Animal Health, they offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios focused on animal health and management, all backed up by that exceptional service. We really do enjoy our long-term association with Allflex and thank them very much for, for again supporting us with bringing this podcast to you.